Hey, this is Adam Starling. I'm the senior pastor at Victory Family Church. Thank you so much for joining us today. I pray this message will inspire you, encourage you, and hopefully challenge you to become everything that God has called you to be. Enjoy the message. Well, what is up? 10 o'clock. How we doing? Good, man. You guys sing loud, dude. Like I have the best seat in the house. It's like a choir back here, man. You guys sound incredible, man. It's been an incredible day uh, thus far, and I, I believe it's going to continue uh, to be just a great day. If you're a guest with us, man, thanks for being here. My name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here. And, and honestly, man, just super honored that you're in this place. If you're a regular, man, thanks for being here also. A uh, lot of things going on, man. A lot of things going on in the life of our church. Let me, let me just tell you about a couple before we get into the, the word today. One, small groups kick off today. So you can sign Sign up for a small group. And so when you leave this auditorium, hang over to the right, man, take your time in the hallway. It's a little jammed up. We're pretty packed this morning. So it'll be a little jammed up, but just be patient. And man, get some information about some small groups. You can sign up online also, uh, but love for you to, man, to jump in a small group. We say it a lot, but we really believe it, man. I, I believe growth is going to happen in a circle much more than it's going to happen you sitting out there and me yelling at times at you. It'll happen a lot more in a circle, I think. And so, man, we uh, truly are a church of small groups, man. We don't just happen to have them, man. We want to be a church of small groups. And so uh, make sure you know about that. And the next week, man, you guys will see a video here in a second, but one, man, that's every single year. Uh, the, towards the end of January, we celebrate really all that God has done the last year. And so we'll talk about all campuses uh, next, next week and just kind of what we've done collectively as Victory Family Church as a whole. And so it'd be a great time really to invite somebody. Man, it just gives a good uh, kind of a snapshot of who we are, the things we really stand for. And so, man, bring somebody next week. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be really good. If you haven't seen the building going up over here, just going to give you an update. Man, this we're calling this the garage. And so again, we are Victory Family Church. And so it's not just the name. Like we truly believe we're family. And so we want to do things that create kind of a family atmosphere. And so thus far, man, we're just kind of limited in space. And so there'll be six, 700 people here today. And so like to get everybody out, I mean, like to have a community gathering, except y'all sitting side by side, it's just pretty hard here. And so we have picnic tables. Those don't, aren't super helpful when it's 30 degrees outside or when it's raining. And so, man, we want people to gather. And so really, I have a goal. I think about this regularly. How do I get you to stay here 10 minutes longer? Like, I really want you to stay here longer to, to truly have some family. And so th there's other reasons, but primarily the driving force behind this building is family. That we can have a place to have food on Sundays. Y'all can hang out afterwards. I literally want us to be uh, a city on a hill, so to speak, man. I, I want it to be a place that even our community can gather here, maybe more than just on Sundays. Maybe throughout the week that people could come and, and drink a cup of coffee and, and have uh, really a relationship with one another. And so I'll give you guys a couple pictures, kind of if you haven't seen what we used to have there. This first picture, it's kind of funny. So that was for one Sunday. We talk about a football field here all the time. So we did a Super Bowl thing, or a, I guess it was a kickoff uh, football day. And so we uh, painted the stripes because I had a guy uh, who had access to a, uh, a painter. And so we did it. So it's, it's cool. And so even when the, the, the inspection guys came, it's funny when they said we were building this, they're like, man, I bet the kids are so mad you're destroying their football field. Rally was one Sunday is all we had that football field there. That's where we started, man. We began tearing up all the football field there. Come on, man. Bernie, what's he doing? Can we just say Bernie brought the, 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 the country together a little bit just for a short season here? These things are killing me. But then we, we cleared the ground, man. The, the building showed up, Bernie did too, but the building showed up uh, and went up before you knew it, man. Start building uh, the building. And so uh, this guy on top, man, come on. He's everywhere, this guy. But 
put metal on the building. Uh, before you know it, uh, studs are up, sheetrock will go up here directly. But that's kind of the, the, the latest picture. We're waiting on uh, spray foam right now. So if you know about that, man, it's got to be a certain degree, temperature. And uh, this week I thought it, it's, it's, it's at that temperature. And so I'm calling the building. I'm like, it's that temperature. I'm standing out here. It's got to be enough time. And so no kidding. I, I say that to say, if you hear this motor fire up, they said they may spray today. And usually I would say, no, you're not spraying on Sunday, but I want this thing done. And so I'm like, you got to spray on Sunday and a motor interrupts my preaching, it is what it is. I want to finish this thing. Uh, it's going to be in, incredible. And so, uh, man, get, be praying for that. Uh, I, I wish I had a timeline for you. Uh, I keep asking it over and over. When's this going to be done? And I can't get an answer. But whatever. A couple months, I think it'll be up and running. Well, if you weren't here or if you haven't been here, uh, man, we're not really, we're not calling this a series, but it is kind of hinging on last week. And so last week we talked about the fact that your direction, where you're going determines your destination. That really your life at the end will be a sum of the decisions that you're making today. I think the decisions we make today will at the end, man, that's where you got there based upon your decision. And so we talked about, man, I think God wants us on this path. And so how do we know? How do we know we're on that path? And so if you remember last week, number one was just warning signs. I think God gives us warning signs over and over, primarily in the Bible. I I think if we read God's word, we learn to love the things God loves. We learn to, to dislike the things God dislikes, man. It has a huge effect on the decisions I'm going to make moving forward. So we all said warning signs through the Bible, but we also warning, warning signs through other people. And so I think God gives you and, and puts godly counsel around you. So I said this one service last week, but, but listen, I think it's great to have a knucklehead or two in your group. I don't think you should be surrounded with knuckleheads if that's where your godly counsel is coming from. Surround yourself with people that can pour life into you. And then you do that for somebody, somebody else. And I also said, I, I do think it gets, it gets tricky. It gets really tricky on who to listen to. So everybody has a word for you. Man, in ministry for 20-something years, in the last two years, I don't think I've heard more people come to me and tell me they had a word for me in the, since I've been in ministry. Everybody has a word. You've got to be selective. A better word probably be discerning on what is from the Lord and who is God using in your uh, path and, and what he wants you to, to learn and grow from. We talked also about just trusting God. Man, the problem is rarely lack of information. We've got so much information, but typically the problem is us trusting God for then the application of the information that we have. And so the reality is, if I look across this room, I would say if we raised our hands, most people, many of you, I would say at least, have made a decision to follow Christ. And that might've been last week. That might've been when you were 13 years old, but you've decided this is the path. I'm choosing this path to be on. But oftentimes, the path gets hard. Like it just gets hard. It gets narrow. Man, it's got uh, plenty of exit ramps that we can take at any given time. And so today, what I want to do is I want to talk about how do you stay on? You, it, once you know what the path is, what God has for you, how do you actually stay on that path? And I want to talk about Noah today. And it's kind of feels like a kid's story, but man, it is unbelievably relevant for adults like you and I today. Because I think it was because Noah chose to stay on the path that God chose him to essentially kind of reboot humanity as a whole. And so we'll be in Genesis chapter six today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me there. It'll be on the screen, but boy, boy, I love to hear of of pages turning. So if you got your Bibles, open them up to Genesis chapter six. Before we do, repeat this after me. Say this, all scripture is God breathed and is useful in teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training 
in righteousness. So that's 2 Timothy 3.16. So I say that because I don't know that I'm going to say anything today that's going to be profound. But I'm telling you, the word of God, if you will allow it, if I will allow it to, and it gets inside, it will change your life. And so let's look at God's word now. Uh, Genesis chapter six says this. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Sham, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end to all flesh for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark out of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark, cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. And sort of gives the directions. Make it just like this. The length of the ark is 300 cubits. We, we don't use that much often, but it's, it's about 18 inches. And so it's 450 so feet long. This is a big boat. It wants to be 50, foot, 50 cubits wide and the height should be 30. Make a roof for the ark and to finish it to a cubit above and set the doors of the ark in its side. Make it with lower second and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which that breath of the life under heaven. Everything that is on earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark and you and your sons, your wife and your son's wives with you. And of every living thing of flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female of the birds according to their kinds of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come with you and you're to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and stored up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. And so Noah does what God asked him to do. And so it rains and it floods and they're on the ark for about a year. And then God literally uses Noah's family to essentially restart humanity. And the Bible tells us that he chose Noah, that God chose Noah because he was faithful. He was staying on the right path. And so the question, not only how do you find the right path, how do you actually stay on that? So if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, take the detours. Take the detours. You see, Noah was 500 years old. God's done something with age since then, but God, Noah was 500 years old when God spoke to him and said, I need you to build a boat. 500. I just can't imagine in the 180,000 days of living that Noah ever thought in his plan, I'm going to build a boat to save humanity. This has got to be a massive detour in his life. I just can't imagine. I can't imagine this was ever in Noah's plan. So I'll be honest, I, I don't know about you, but I hate detours. Like when I'm driving, like I just hate them. Like I don't want to roll up and see your construction sign that tells me like I got to go around. Like I'm driving down the road. I have a mission. I, I have a, when, when, I, when I see a sign, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like I don't want to go around. I'm on a mission, right? I know where I want to get to go. I don't want to turn right, drive around your big construction zone. Like I don't want to do that. That's going to cost me time. And time is unbelievably valuable to me. But really there's always a reason for detour doesn't feel like, and I gripe a lot when I see those signs, but there's almost always a reason. If we don't take the detour, we may end up stuck or we may end up in a wreck. But the reality is we've got a plan. Like we already have a plan. I, I don't want a detour to interrupt my plan. Is that for you? Is that fair? Like I don't love these detours. 
Because detours oftentimes detour or they delay our destinations. So it's not like when I come up to a sign, I think, oh, I can't go now. I'm not going to be able to go. It delays where I want to get to. We become impatient. I become impatient. And we begin to despise the detour instead of looking for purpose in it. And so many of you know this story, but We've been up and running now almost two years. And so prior to that, man, for about a year and a half or so, off and on, I met with uh, the school board. I just knew we were going to be in the school. Uh, I had a plan. We were going to launch in the high school auditorium. And, and quite honestly, uh, Todd Tyson was the pastor at Summit Church who met there for almost five years. We're really good friends. And so I knew everything. I mean, literally, I like had a cheat sheet. I knew the ins and I had their contract. No one knew that. I had everything. I had everything possible that I knew. And here's also the truth. There were five board members. I'll tell you now. I knew three really well. I have a political science degree, so I know what to do. So I went behind everyone's back. I had coffee with these people. I had the votes. I had the votes. If we would have said, let's vote, done. We won. I have three votes. That's all I need. I didn't, I didn't go for a fourth or fifth. I needed my three. And so I just knew it's going to happen. It's so easy. We were offering an insane amount of money to do this. I just knew it's going to happen. It's going to happen. So I went to these board meetings, countless board meetings, over and over and to just find out that I wasn't on the agenda. And there's a lot of reasons, good reasons why I wasn't. But for me, it was so frustrating. It was so frustrating because I would tell my lead team, who's the rest of me and five other people <clears throat> that, that are on the lead team of our church. And I said, oh yeah, it'll happen tonight. I'm meeting tonight. I get to speak in front of all these people. Uh, we'll be golden. Probably move in tomorrow. Like it's easy. It's easy. I told, and I don't, I don't lie. I told our lead team that five times because I was so positive this was going to happen. And every time, every time over and over, it, it didn't happen. It, it honestly felt like something was holding me back where I knew where I think I was supposed to be and doing but I felt like I was getting held back and unbelievably frustrated at times. I just think sometimes you've got to, because you know now, right? You, you know clearly God had his hand on that. We wouldn't have this. I wouldn't have just told you about what we're doing over here if he had put us there. But it just felt like when he's holding me back, I like to think of detours almost like a bow and arrow. If you just think about that, man, there's no real damage being done when you're just pulling back. But like in the back here, I just feel like sometimes God's just holding you there. And if you think about it, if you know anything about a bow and arrow, the further you pull it, if you just pull it back here, you're not going very far. But if you pull it all the way back and then the waiting, God holds you back. Get ready when he releases you to do incredible, incredible things. Praise God he had us held back for a year. Praise God. We can see now, I know it's easy now because we're past that. If we could all have this 2020 vision hindsight, I get it. But it's unbelievable to see, man, God was holding us the entire, entire time. And listen to me, maybe you're going through some detour in life. You didn't cause it. It's not your fault. If someone did something, do you kind of wreck your world? Listen to me, God's holding you. He's holding you. He's holding you. He's holding you back and you get ready. He's not done. He wasn't taken off surprised by that. He's holding you back to the perfect time to release you. Listen, we must embrace the detours. Jesus, the King we serve, was of a supreme example at embracing detours. There's never been and never will be a greater mission in the purpose that Jesus had. He had three years. He had three years to change the course of history. Three years. You've got to think every single moment mattered to him. But if you'll just read the scriptures, it just seems like that his entire ministry was chased by one distraction, one detour, one interruption over and over. You think about Mark chapter 5. If you know this story, but, but Jesus is on his way to heal a man named Jairus' daughter. 
he's, he's a big figure in the church. She's sick and she may die. Jesus, that's what he does. He heals. So he's on mission, on his way, walking literally off to go heal this man's daughter. I don't know if you remember this story, but there's a woman that they call her the woman that she's got this issue of blood. She's been bleeding, I don't know why, for 12 years. And so he's walking through this crowd and the Bible says that she grabbed the hem of his garment. Jesus is on a mission. He's trying to get somewhere. He turns, doesn't say, no, 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 ma'am, I'm on a mission. Can I go heal somebody? Can I go raise somebody up that may be dying? No, he turns and the Bible says he healed her. He said because of her faith, he healed her. Now, by society standard, the reality is Jairus was more important. He just was. He was an official in the church. This woman of the issue that she had this issue of blood, really she would have been an outcast because of her medical problems. So not only would he and his daughter have been deemed more important, honestly, even for me, it just seems like the need was significantly greater. Like this dude's daughter might die. The lady with the issue of blood It appears she could live with that. She's had it for 12 years. It appears she could have lived with that. But Jesus took the detour anyway. He took the detour anyway. It's gonna cost him time. It's gonna gonna take away from what he's on mission to do. Jesus was always interrupted. He was always took time for the detour. Maybe in Mark chapter two, you know this story maybe. We have four men who who Jesus is standing, he's he's preaching in this house and these fools rip off the roof and they lower this guy down in the middle of Jesus is preaching and he's talking about the kingdom of God is at hand. It's pretty important what he's doing. And they lower this man down. Instead of saying, get this dude out of here until I finish, he takes the detour and the man's healed. The man is healed. Most interruptions are almost always opportunities. Your interruptions, your detours are most of the time opportunities. Opportunities to love people, opportunities to serve people, opportunities to help people. I just think the greatest moments you will make even with your family is likely an interruption. When you're busy and you've already got a plan, something going on, your kid says, dad, let's wrestle, let's go play, let's go shoot, let's do something. I'm telling you the greatest impact you'll have with your friends. And almost always, man, you've got got something you're doing that day and they call you just to throw up all of it because their life they're going through is a living hell. Like that's when you make a difference. Those are the biggest times for you, the biggest impact. It's when you allow your busy life and I allow my busy life to be interrupted. You will likely find more purpose in the interruption than you ever will in the destination. And I'm not saying where you're going is not important. I think it is. I just, just for, from, from just past experiences, most of the time you find more purpose in the interruption, whatever that is, the detour. But we're trying to get somewhere fast. But listen to me, God is giving you opportunities all along the journey. God asked Noah to do something. It's just truly insane. It's just crazy what he asked him to do. Something that had never been done before in history. And his response is amazing. It, it's big, like, it's not like Jesus, you're, you're on mission and Jesus puts someone in your life at the gas station you need to pray for, or you need to give $10 for the gas to. That's, that's small. He, he asked you to build a boat, a boat. What, what, build, because we're going to flood the earth. You know, crazy that must have sounded to him and people all around him. But look at his answer. Incredible. Genesis 6, says, Noah did this. I need you to do this. And it says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him to do. God spoke, Noah obeyed. He stayed faithful to everything God has called him to do. So how do you stay on the right path? Be okay with the detours. Be okay with the detours in life. I'm not saying they're fun, 
but be okay with what God may be pulling you through. But also keep your eyes on the road. Recently, I thought my auto insurance was a little too high. And so I get the bill and I thought, I think that's a little bit high. I'm gonna tell you, just because uh, I have insurance with Liberty Mutual, if you work for them, I'm not sorry, you need to do better. So I just think it's a little high. I think it's a little high. And so I called them and I said, man, it feels a little high to me. It just feels like it's too much. And he said, sir, you've been with this for a while. Why are you not enrolled in the right track program? I said, what's the right track program, man? I've been here for this long. You ain't talking about a right track program. He said, it can save you 30 or 40%. I said, what? And you just, why don't you call me? You should have been calling me months ago. Tell me what this is. And he said, well, it's a device. You put in your vehicle and it just kind of monitors how fast you go. You hook it to your phone, how hard you brake. If you slide off the road, some of you guys are like already out. Pastor, the government's going to be watching you. Don't do it. Maybe, maybe, but if it can save me 40%, come on, Govy, I don't care. Move in with me. You can sleep in my guest room. I don't care. So if the next three months you see me driving 35 miles an hour everywhere I go, paying close to every single detail, you see your attention determines your direction. Where your attention is always determines where your direction is. What you give the most attention, it determines the direction of your life. And we know that direction determines destination. We learned that last week. So your, so your destination, it always starts with your attention. You ever have to tell your kids, your parents, to, for your kids just to pay attention? <laughs> I just feel like that's a constant currently in the Porter household. One of my sayings all the time is I say, pay attention. It's not going to cost you a thing. Pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. I feel like it's every other day. I'm telling one of my sons, pay attention. And the reality is it's not like either one of them aren't paying attention. They're just paying attention to the wrong things. Let me ask you this. What's grabbing your attention? I don't think any of us are not paying attention. You are paying attention, but what are you paying attention to? 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, as we look not to the things that are seen, it's encouragement, it's pushing us. Don't look there, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen, they're eternal. When sin has our attention, when it's sin, we begin to veer that direction. So if sin has your attention, you're gonna veer that direction. Everything begins moving in the direction of what has your attention. Everything, everything will move in that direction of whatever has your attention. When my boys were younger, we played soccer at South Lakes. When we were young, I hated playing there. Not, not because it's a great club. If you play there, it's a great club. But, but I hated playing there because when they were little, we're trying to get them to pay attention. Play soccer, let's roll. But them daggone airplanes kept flying over to the airport right there all the time. And so the boys would be playing. All of a sudden, big airplane comes over. Southwest flies over. And all of a sudden, you see those boys just stop. They're watching the airplane. Man, us parents, we're yelling for a while. Then before we know it, we're looking. And we're all concerned. Southwest 745, is they going to make it safely? Like we're all concerned. So our attention goes from here where it ought to be to some little distraction, man, in our attention. And I'm telling you, once your attention gets there, you begin veering in that way. Again, everything begins moving in the direction of what has your attention. And so this can go worldly. Sometimes, man, we'll, we'll see our friends. We'll see our colleagues, man, and they, they got a new car. Man, maybe we need to get a new car. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with new cars, but, but we begin to try to kind of keep up with the Joneses, so to speak. They got a new house. Maybe we ought to move into a new neighborhood. What's grabbing your attention? And parents, be careful. Be careful because it'll happen with your kids too. You see so-and-so's kids play on this team. Oh, man, my kid needs to be on that team. Just be careful. What's grabbing your attention? And the, the cool thing is this can go, this can go godly too. 
What's grabbing your attention, man? You begin to, to see the things that of God, man, allow those to grab your attention. You'll, you'll veer that way too. You begin seeing people that are hurting around you and it grabs your attention. Listen, you'll begin loving them. When you begin seeing people the way God was seeing people who don't know Jesus, man, I'm just telling you, you'll begin sharing your faith more. Your family. When your family begins grabbing your attention you'll begin spending more time there and discipling or even trying to disciple your own children. When the love of God, I don't care how long you've walked with Christ, when the love of God and what he's really done for you really grabs a hold of your attention, you will serve others selflessly. I'm sure people thought Noah was crazy, but he had to stay focused. He had to keep his eyes on the road. But then sometimes following Jesus, listen, he just got to buckle up. Like it's just a rough ride. You just got to buckle up. Genesis 7, the rest of the story says, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened and rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Some of you construction workers just got sick when you heard that. And then Genesis 7, 24 says, and the waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days. Again, most people think they were probably on that ark for at least a year. You imagine the animals, the smells, a year trapped on that thing. Y'all remember shelter in place? That was only three months, right? It was awful at times, right? Three months practically stuck in our houses. It was tough. You imagine being like one year being quarantined on a boat with your family, right? Uncle Bob, he was there too, probably. You know what I mean? On the same boat. For a year. You better buckle up for that kind of stuff. You may have to just buckle up for some of that. I'm just telling you, following Jesus is the road less traveled. It is. It's the road less traveled. In fact, Matthew 7 says it this way, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow the way is hard and it leads to life and those who find it are few. So it's not saying that there aren't people on the wide road. There's a lot. The wide road, it's easy to find. It's simple. And it says that many are, I'll be honest, there's scripts like this that just kind of haunt me. The idea that, the, that many people find themselves on the wide road, but it's few who find themselves. But again, remember the wide road, it leads to something, but it's destruction. It leads to destruction, but it's the, the narrow road that leads to life. David Livingston was a missionary. You may have heard his name before, but he traveled mostly across the entire continent of Africa, introducing literally hundreds, thousands of people to Jesus, widely regarded as maybe the greatest missionary that ever lived. Many actually credit him with exposing the, the slave industry in Africa. A mission society wrote to David Livingstone and he asked him this, have you found a good road? to where you are so that we know, so, excuse me, so if so, we want to know so we can send other men to join you. So if you found a place we can get there, like, is there a good road we can get buses of people there? Because if you do, man, we got people we want to send. And he wrote back, if you have men who will come only if there's a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will come if there's no road at all. If you'll read his story, you'll see that he lost his wife to malaria Eventually he got sick and he died. He told this mission organization in Scotland, he said, you can bury my body in England, but my heart in Africa. Before he passed away, a reporter asked him about his sacrifices. 
sacrifices he made. And let me, take, let me just read you what he wrote. So I wants to know about these sacrifices. For my own part, I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of the sacrifices I've made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward and healthful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with the word sacrifice. Say it rather a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then with the foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of the life may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink, but let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared to the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. I know oftentimes we think about the, the road following Jesus. We think about it just wide and it's easy. And so for whatever reason, I, I don't know, it could be us. It's this preacher's fault, man. We've, sometimes we've presented this case that you give your life to Christ. This is what life looks like. It's not true. It's not true. It's not true. I don't know anybody. And I, biblically, you're not going to find anybody. And practically, I just met, I ain't met that brother. I, I long to, if that's you, I'd love to hear your story. That you literally have no problems ever in your life. It's just claim it, name it. Like it's just, it's just easy for you. I just don't know him. I've never met him. And I don't think you find that in the scriptures either. You, you find the, the heroes of our faith. You think about the disciples, didn't end well for any of them. Every one of them martyred dipped in hot wax. I mean, it's awful. It doesn't end well for some of these guys. So the thought that that's the Christian life, it's just a lie. It's just, it's just a lie. It's narrow. It's bumpy. And it's full of adversity. But listen to me, it's also full of peace. It's full of joy. It ain't full of happiness necessarily. God's not concerned with your happiness. He is concerned with your joy. There's a big difference. There's joy and it's guaranteed. And there's fulfillment. There's a girl in our church. She sings out here sometimes. She goes to Norm most of the time. Her name's Leah Vincent. She travels, but I mean, she's crazy to me, man. She, she gets done, I'll see her on Facebook, just finished a 42 mile run. She's like, she's just that woman, man. She's crazy. And so it seems like to me, she travels the entire world hiking at uh, these incredible mountains and trails. Here's some of her pictures from John Muir Trail in the High Sears. They're incredible, incredible. She said there's over 200 miles of hiking here that she's on that leads to 40,000 foot of elevation. This one trip, she took 13 days and said it almost killed her. Her lungs, her legs hurt, but it was mesmerizing at the same time. I just think the Christian life looks more like that. I think that's the truth of walking with Christ. The Christian path is, is a new experience around every corner that encourages you to keep on going. And when you finish, man, you're gonna realize it was all worth it. Jesus never promised the journey was easy, but he promised he'd be with you. And he makes a promise he's never gonna leave you. He's never gonna forsake you. He promised fulfillment. He promised joy. And he promises it's all worth it in the end. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father God, we love you. We thank you, God. We thank you that you are a God that is never caught off guard. You're never, you're never caught off guard at all. God, you never leave us. And as dark as maybe it feels today, God, you're there. And I'm just gonna stand on the truth. If I don't feel it, I'm standing on the truth that you're there and your word says it, God. And so we thank you for a God who's actually really near. Though to us, we might perceive it as distance. You're near, you're near. 
we thank you for that, God. Just with your head bowed and your eyes, I want to talk to a couple different groups here. Number one, maybe you'd say, I've walked with the Lord for a long time. I know the Lord. But maybe if you're honest today, you would say, but I do struggle with the detours. I struggle submitting to what he wants for my life because I want it this way. And I don't think that makes you a bad person, but you just struggle with what he may be detouring you for. If that's you, I just want you to slip up your hand. I just want to pray for you. Yeah, yeah, hands all over the room. Yeah, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, God. God, you would you'd grant us a patience and a peace that truly surpasses all understanding. God, that I hope it makes no sense to the world that I would be okay with this detour. I hope it doesn't make any sense at all, God, but only with because I know you, because we know you, Jesus. It makes great and profound sense. And so God, again, I ask supernaturally, God, give us some peace. Give us patience in the detour. As you're pulling us back, ready, God, to release us. Help us be patient. And I know, God, when you release, we're gonna land exactly where you want us. Or maybe you would say this. Maybe you would say, if you're honest with yourself, you hear this talk about a God who's got a plan and the preacher up there is telling you how to stay on this plan, but, but you don't know him. You, you don't know him as Lord. You don't know him as Savior. Maybe you know a little bit about him, but you don't know him. But today, for whatever reason, man, God's stirring your heart and you don't really know what to do tomorrow. That's okay. The Bible says, confess your sins. Believe in your heart that he saved you and he'll do it. So that's you today. You've never said yes to Jesus. I want you to slip up your hand. I'm gonna say a quick prayer for you. We're gonna pray all together. This is much more than a prayer. It's much more than a, a one-time decision. It's a lifestyle. This is a start. That's you, just lift your hand. I, I want us as a family to pray this prayer all together. Pray this way, Father God, thank you for saving me. Come into my life. Be Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. I repent of my sins. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's message, I want to encourage you to like it or share it on social media and tag at VFC underscore Newcastle. If you haven't already, download the Victory Family Church app to stay connected with everything that's happening throughout the week. Thanks again for listening. Have an awesome week.